Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part one of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the Church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The typical way I would give this message is to train you as an individual how to pray. And yet, I feel like God's expanding the vision, even before I got up here, that, it's, that we learn as a body how to pray. And if we don't, we die. There is an imperative commission to us that we learn as a body not to lean on the praying three or four in our midst and say, well, they're called to that, but that we each would learn to carry the burden that we've been entrusted by the Spirit of God and that we would learn to take it to God in prayer. And we would do it individually and we would do it corporately. And this is something that is weighing on me and it's weighing quite heavily. And I feel completely insufficient to give this message. In fact, I would almost want to say this is pathetic what I'm about to give you compared to what the Bible actually says on prayer. This is a short enunciation. This is like giving you two two little tools out of a vast toolkit And the other thing, the reason you see me sort of almost frustrated even getting into this message is because I've been teaching on prayer for years. I love prayer. Prayer is a big part of my life. It is one of the things I think about almost all day long. And yet the more I've prayed, the more I realize I don't really know how to pray. And so it's like almost exploring the universe. When you first start, you call it the universe and say, I'm going out into the universe. And have you ever been there? Oh, yes, I've been into the universe. And you went through, you know, whatever barrier there is between earth and uh, the heavenly realms out there. And so, yeah, you've been out there. But the more you begin to explore, the more you realize, you know what? I really have not touched what is truly out here. And that's the way I feel in regards to prayer. And so I'm just going to basically emphasize two different key understanding points or tools that we need to be effective prayers. However, you could... Bring up, it's like Eric didn't even mention this today. I might as well break it to you right now. There's a whole bunch of things I'm not going to mention today. And so that's where I feel so limited. Last week I spoke on the Holy Spirit. You know how many things I left out? Yeah, it's like the entire Old Testament leads us to an understanding of the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is brought to us by means of the Holy Spirit. And so to try and articulate that in one little diddly squat message is nearly impossible. But that seems to be God's way. God seems to love to take small things to reveal big things. He loves to take little lunches and feed multitudes. And so though this be a smallish message compared to the grandness of God, I hope and pray that God leverages it and multiplies it to a great effect. So an introduction. What is prayer? Uh, Every semester at Ellerslie, we gather in the very beginning uh, and we begin to teach what prayer is. And so for some of you, you've heard this before, but this is just the basic nuts and bolts of prayer. Prayer is you know, obviously a communication between the earthen realm and the heavenly realms. It's a communication with God. But very specifically, 
it has an agenda. It has a purpose. And some of us think that it's a calisthenic, like sort of like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, if you pray every day, then, you know, sin will stay away. You know, that type of a, a concept. When I'm not saying that it doesn't actually exercise our soul in some way, but there's a greater meaning for it, a greater purpose for it. Then a lot of us have these thoughts like, isn't God going to do what he's going to do anyway, so why do I pray about it? And that's when we begin to get all weird, uh, is when we, we begin to think that prayer is just more of one of these exercises that somehow reminds us of important things and of truths, but God's doing his own thing out here no matter what we do. I would like to introduce you to the idea of prayer that changes the world, that alters history. God has chosen this as the means. You see, God will accomplish his ends, but he chooses in his ends to use us. And so as a result, he uses us to accomplish his ends. And part of the way he uses us is in and through our prayer lives. So what is prayer? When Jesus died on the cross, he said something rather mysterious. He says, it is finished, or he said, it is finished. Now, if you look around, you could say, you know, well done, Jesus, but your idea of being finished with something isn't quite in agreement with my idea of you finishing something. My idea of him being finished is seated on a throne and every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that he is Lord. Is he Lord? Yes. Is he King of Kings? Yes. And that's present tense reality. And yet it's present tense reality and this finished work is finished, but it's finished in heaven. It is accomplished. It is sealed. It is done. That which was needed for your rescue, your salvation, that which has established his kingdom in this earth has actually been done. But the natural realm has not bent its knee yet. And this is where prayer comes in. We are a lost realm here. One that seems to be ruled by other powers other than the one that we're esteeming out there. And yet what faith does is faith is awakened by the Holy Spirit and we see into this other realm and we see the one that is high and lifted up, the one that is victorious with hands and feet pierced, side pierced. And we see in his wounds the victory and we believe. And when we believe, that victory is actually made manifest and is virtuous to us. It actually changes us. So by faith, we are gaining that gracious work that was done on the cross. Well, the same thing is true about prayer. Prayer is the arm of faith. So when you truly believe, then what you say is, wait a minute, Jesus, you did a lot on that cross. And that lot that you did on that cross needs to come down here and be realized in this natural realm. And so as I oftentimes say to the students at Ellerslie, I say, it's like a grappling hook. And this is what prayer is. You see the promises. You see the purchase of the cross. You swing your grappling hook, throw it up to the heavenly realms and grab one of the promises. And you begin to pull. And how long do you pull? Well, you pull and 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 you pull until that promise reaches this earth. See, when the disciples were learning how to pray and the model prayer was even being given by Jesus, Jesus has an interesting line in there, and he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You see, there's something that is in heaven. And Jesus, in his even instruction on prayer and the model of praying, involves this idea of reaching up and grabbing that which is heavenly and bringing it to this earth. And I would say, there's prayer for you. Prayer is accessing and acquiring the purchase of the cross and by faith, bringing, wrestling it down to this earth. You see, you do not stop praying until the realities of God's kingdom come. 
Now, some of you could say, well, I've prayed a long time, and I never saw, I've never seen anything happen, though. You know that the Spirit of God has been praying for 2,000 years for one very specific thing that hasn't yet happened? It says, in Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you think the Spirit of God is pretty good at praying? Think the Father's heeding the prayer? Yes, he is. Certain prayers take minutes. Others take hours. Others take weeks to be realized. Some take months, some take years, some take, some take decades, some take, uh, we could just say it, millennia. Some take thousands of years. We don't stop. We hand it off to our children and say, keep praying. Pray is the famous line from the Salvation Army as William Booth would be up on the stage and he'd be preaching and he had a man under the stage who was praying. And so he would yell out in the midst. If he sensed any hardness or coldness in his audience, he'd say, pray. And the audience is like, what is he talking about? In the middle of his preaching, pray. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the guy under the stage. The only way that these hearts are going to be melted is if someone is praying. If there is a revival, it's because someone has been praying. If you have been awakened, it's because someone has been praying. You see, prayer is the precursor to revival. And yet, it's so funny because even for me to begin praying as I had to be revived just meant someone was praying. See, God has a stimulus package. He has a way in which he works in this earth. We are sick and tired in this culture. Let's just get it out on the table because I know I am. And if you have any of the same ache that I have, I'm tired of the church being weak. I'm tired of this deadness. We can preach all day long, but until we get the praying going... The preaching is still going to fall on deaf ears. Pray. What we should do is build a new stage. Maybe make it about this high and have like two layers of it. All of you guys can get under and maybe we'll have two people that show up one morning. I'm like, I got you right where I want you. Pray. And all of you are like going at it underneath the stage. Wouldn't that be amazing? Everyone that comes in is like, that is one weird stage. So what I say is imagine that God gave you a promise and he said, I'll use my name in this. Eric, beneath your feet is a treasure chest. And then he hands me a shovel. What would I do? Wouldn't it be ridiculous if you're told of a promise, if you are given a treasure, and yet you exert nothing to go after it? You see, the way treasure works, it's always buried somewhere. That's just how treasures work. And the same is true with the treasure of heaven. There seems to be a barrier an expanse, something between us and that which God wants us to go after. Faith is required. And there's a test of faith, and that's the expanse of going through that to reach the promise. Well, so here's a different direction. You know, the grappling hook went up. Well, this one goes down. If you were given a shovel, what would you do? You'd start shoveling, wouldn't you? Every child on earth would love this illustration. Shovel, of course. And how many of us as adults have taken one scoopful. It's like, all right, all right. So yeah, I, I don't see a treasure. And we set down our shovel. How many of us, there's entire support groups in Christianity for three shovel Christians that have shoveled three different times. They've gone after this treasure and they set down the, the shovel. It's like, why aren't you shoveling? Well, I tried. I tried prayer. Yeah, it just didn't work for me. Uh, did God promise? Yes. Well, he cannot lie. The treasure's there. The question is, where do you stop? You see, look, I numbered the, the layers for you. One, two, three. If you, if you were three scoopfuls down, guess what? You're closer, but you shouldn't stop. Why in the world would you stop? Now, the dangerous thing about this little illustration, some of you are going to say, so at level seven, I'm going to find it. 
See, level seven is, seven to the, the Hebrew mind is the number of completion. And so what you see is even in the picture of effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, when Elijah bends on Mount Carmel and prays, he sends his servant and says, check and see if the cloud, if the rains come. And the man comes, comes back and goes, no, I don't see anything. And so Elijah bends down and prays. Seven times, on the seventh time, there's a picture of a cloud. And that's the picture of wrestling prayer in the Bible. And so seven is just a holder number for completion. When God has brought that work to completion, you will see the cloud. But do not relent until you see it. Okay? And the other key is, you dig where God tells you to dig. If you're just off by a few feet, guess what? You can be down at layer 10 and not be finding things. In other words, we pray in accordance with the word of God and with the clear revelation of scripture. But if you do, you dig and you dig and you dig and what will you find? Kink, kink. You find treasure. Now that treasure could be traded out for a lot of things. You need a lot of things in your life and it's not just financial resource because that's most of what we're going to think when we think of a treasure. However, you need the grace of God made manifest in every area of your life. Maybe your marriage is down here. Do you stop going after it in the, in the heavenly realms? Do you stop wrestling? Maybe it's health. Maybe it's just that you would be marked by joy and peace and have the real substance of the gospel truth in you as opposed to whatever you feel like you have now. For me, it's a church triumphant, and I do not want to relent until I get the kink on the top of that treasure chest and I see it opened in our generation. God has more in mind for the church of Jesus Christ in this country than what we've witnessed. And I refuse to stop digging until we get there. Session number one, the audacious ask. Without it, prayer just isn't prayer. There are a lot of dimensions to prayer, and I'm going to introduce you to, like I said, a couple of them today. One of them has to do with the ask. Asking is a very awkward thing. I'm an American I grew up in this country. There are certain things that are just inappropriate, socially awkward to do. I don't just come up to someone in a Starbucks and go, yeah, hey, do you have 10 bucks for me? I don't ask those types of things. That's considered rude. It's disrespectful. We have personal space here in America. We also have the laws, the social rules of what you do and do not do. Don't, you don't ask people for things. I remember when I was at my grandma's house and my brother was a little less socially sensitive than I was. He's, he's younger, so we'll give him a little uh, slack there. But my, my grandma had this one back room that we had discovered. It's like sort of like an attic, but this was like the basement cellar. And so we were back there digging. There's so many cool things back there that were like ancient artifacts. And this was before eBay. If I was, it was eBay time, I would have been thinking, well, I could make a killing off of this. But that, that, was, that was still a long time away. And so I'm down there, and I'm noticing all these things, like an old football and various things. So my brother goes straight up to my grandma and goes, uh, Grandma, could I have the old football, and could I have the huh and the huh huh And she goes, sure. I'm like, what? Hey, first of all, what he did was completely wrong. You don't just ask for things like that, but guess what? He asked, and he received. And guess who didn't ask? Guess who? Well, all the good stuff was already taken by the time my brother was done with his list. So it's like, yeah, could I have the old dress? I mean, what, what's left down there? Well, ironically, God gives a pattern for how the kingdom of heaven works. And it is based on a certain operation of the soul, which is to ask. And if you don't ask, you don't receive. That's strange. 
But a lot of us feel awkward because we don't want to presume. That's one of our common ways of saying, I don't want to presume upon God like he actually wants to give me that. And so as a result, we don't ask. But prayer is based on this premise. And so as a result, whether we feel comfortable with these or not, you never notice that there's almost nothing in Christianity that's just comfortable. So we might as well just get used to this right here. Ask. It's a command. The ask. Ask and it shall be given you. And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. Now, I actually had a whole list originally, but I trimmed it down because I'm trying to move through this message quicker. But now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. So we don't, we're not just required to ask, but then we have a God who delights to answer. And get this. And he delights to answer in a way that is far beyond anything we actually asked. But he seems to kindle on the ask. It's like, ah, we need some firewood here. You can't have a a fire without the firewood. And so even though we stick out a little stick, we have this roaring fire. His fire is a lot bigger than the stick deserves, but he still is looking for the stick. Ask. Who are we asking? Well, we're asking the one who asks us to ask. And promises that he will answer if we do ask. You see, we're not just making random requests of some guy in a Starbucks. It's like, hey, buddy, could you give me $10? You see, you don't have a lot of confidence that that guy either has $10 or that he's willing to give it to you. You see, that's not a confident ask. This is a completely different ask. This is like the guy in Starbucks saying, come on, I have $10 that I'd like to give you, but if you could just ask me for it, then I can legally hand it to you. And so we're like, really? He goes, yeah, so could you just ask me? We're like, could I have the $10? He goes, thank you for asking. And hands it to us. Like, huh, that was a weird setup. That's exactly the way it is. God has actually said, look, I have already given you this. This is made available to you, but the way that you can receive it is if you ask in faith, believing. So, So we're like, well, I just don't want to presume. He says, actually, You are doing more harm to your soul than anything by not doing exactly as I'm asking you to do. Ask. Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given you, says Jesus. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread will give him a stone? Or, ask, or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more should your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Why can we ask? He has made a way under the throne of grace where the asking is made and the answers are found. You see, the new covenant opens up so much to us that was not necessarily available in the same way in the old covenant. We have access unto the throne room of grace where the asking is done. You see, Jesus is clothing. As I always like to say, on the cross, when his side was opened up, it's like a door opened up, and he said, climb on in. Climb on into the heart of God. And he's a carrying device. He is the way to the Father. How do you get to the Father? It's sort of like if I said, how do you get to Perth, Australia? You'd say, well, I need a plane. Jesus is that carrying device. He is the plane. And so if you enter into Jesus by faith and say, it's there, that heart, that work is the work that I need to be saved by. Then we enter in by faith. He closes up that door, locks us in tight, straps us into our seat, and takes us on a journey. He takes us through his death, and we die. 
We die to our old life. Then he takes us to his burial. And our old life is buried and no longer visible. Then he takes us through his resurrection. And in the resurrection of Christ, we now live in our new creatures in Christ. And then he seats us where he sits, at the right hand of the Father on high. And guess what? He's taken us to the throne room of grace. And he says, enter boldly. You see, you're here. And now ask in my name. You see, we're in a position. We're right in the heart of God. And he says, ask in the person of Christ. Ask in my name and I will do it. You see, if you ask from down here, that's not a good position to be asking from. We're asking in Christ. We are asking in faith in the person of Christ. And guess what? We're right there with the Father. So why can we ask? Well, he's made a way under the throne of grace where the asking is made and the answers are found. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know how strange of a statement that is? Come boldly into the throne room of grace. I keep saying room. Unto the throne of grace. You see, the throne of grace is off limits to us. You'd have to prove perfect righteousness. You'd have to per- prove holy, holy, holiness. That's what dwells there. You'd have to prove perfection, moral perfection and purity. I don't know how you're doing. Check your own pockets and, you know, we, we don't have it. So let us therefore come boldly. Well, that's because we're coming clothed in his work. He can come boldly. It's his merit. It's his work. It's his victory and success that we lean on. And as a result, we can come boldly under the throne of grace. This is where prayer is accomplished. Prayer is accomplished right there because it's there that you may obtain mercy and find grace, which is the power of God to do in, in, to help in time of need. In other words, we can have the power of God to do what we need to get done in this earth Anytime we face need and we are in that desperate weakness and we need strength, we have access to that which will help us do it. Hebrews 10. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You see, he's already promised that he has what you need. So in agreement with his word and by faith, enter in boldly. You see, he's made the way. Come, come on, let's come near. I'd have to be perfect to come in there. But don't you trust that he is your perfection? Yes, I do. Well, then come, come near. You see, he's faithful. He's made the promise to you, and he is faithful to keep his word. So if you come near, you will have precisely what you need for life and godliness. Anything you could ever face in this life will be made available to you. For all the promises of God in him, it's in Christ. What's your position? So all the promises of God in him are yes, and and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So that means if you are in Christ, the answer to your requests, the answer when you call forth that promise, say, God, please, and you ask, the answer is yes and amen. It's already defined. God has already given his yes even before you asked your question, even before you made your prayer. Past tense answer, isn't that strange? My answer is yes, 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 yes. Amen, 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 amen. All throughout the generations. Because when you believe in Christ, you are brought near. And in that position, the answer is yes. Why in the world wouldn't we pray? How can we be assured he will answer? 
because he has promised and he cannot lie. How can I be sure that there's really a treasure chest down there? Well, who told you there was a treasure chest down there? Well, God. Well, can God lie? No. So he told you that there's a treasure chest down there. He, in fact, he said, I promise you there's a treasure chest down there. And he cannot lie. So what's logic say? Keep digging. It will be answered. It is impossible for God to lie. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. He is faithful that promised. See, this is what we bank on. We bank on the character of God. When he says it, he will do it. So prayer, when we call it the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith is the assurance that he is faithful that promised. He cannot lie. He said it right here. I'm reading it in the scriptures right now. He said it, he will do it. This is what Abraham was known for. Abraham believed it was credited to him as righteousness. What was his faith? He believed that the one who promised was able to perform that which he promised. Do you have that faith? Do you know that the one who has promised is able to perform it? Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So when we ask, how should we ask? The two ingredients that please God. Okay, so if you're going to do some asking, let's consider how we should ask. First, you want to ask with faith, but not just any faith. Faith that God is sure to answer and delights to answer. You know that if you start with the premise, you know, there's that guy in Starbucks and someone's whispering to you outside. It's like, yeah, a lot of people in Starbucks don't know this, but that guy literally stands there with millions of dollars in his pocket. And he just goes from Starbucks to Starbucks, and he's just waiting for someone to ask. And he has a big sign on his, in his chest that says, ask me for money. And then most people, are, oh, they would never even dream of doing it. And so then you like hear this, this legendary story, and then you watch a guy go in there and ask. He just whips out a $100 bill and gives it to him. He's like, what? And so suddenly your confidence begins to increase. Like, you know, I'm going to try that. You see, we have something far more certain than just witnessing the experience of those around us, we have the sealed, revealed word of God. And it has made its statement. Ask him. Ask him. The shed blood of Jesus is for you. It's like a personalized invite to our soul. If you crave, if you desire to be rescued by Jesus, it's because he desires to rescue. There's a lot of people out there I have no explanation for. They don't crave and long to be saved by Jesus Christ, but you do. You long to be found in him. You long to be near him, to be intimate with him. Why? It's because he first longed for you. He first longed to be intimate with you. This is his work in you. You are merely responding to it. You long for these things. Well, start getting confidence in him. Faith that God is sure to answer and delights to answer. And two, oh, I like this one. And God-sized requests. So if you're going to make a request, how big should it be? Well, don't make a little diddly squat request. I can just see us, you know, this guy that has asked me for whatever amount you want. And he's sitting and walking around in Starbucks. His, 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 his pockets are bulging with, with $100 bills. And you come up and you feel a little awkward. And so you ask for five cents. I mean, doesn't that just seem pathetic? Yeah, I mean, here's a guy that packed with his, with, with his pockets packed full. Now, unfortunately, I'm making it sound like this is about money. It's not money. It's just this guy in Starbucks for some reason ended up in my message. 
But when we make requests, let's make God-sized requests, or in other words, audacious requests that, that make God smile. You know that there's a pattern in Scripture for how to make a request? In all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now, this one word, I made it big so you wouldn't miss it, really messes a lot of us up. Whatsoever. You know that we have all these people, especially that's why I'm a little sensitive to bringing up money. Because we have the health, wealth, and prosperity people that love the idea of prayer, but they have skewed it into being something that satisfies the flesh. You see, one of the reasons we'd walk up to this guy in Starbucks is so that we could pad our own pockets. That's just not the way a Christian works. A Christian is interested in the glory of King Jesus, whether or not they have pennies in their pockets or not. It doesn't make any difference. You see, we don't expect ease on this planet, but we do expect the grace to live this life triumphantly. And that's the key for us. And so this word really has been hijacked by a lot of people. I mean, God says, ask whatsoever. And so this is where the Lamborghini or the Ferrari comes in. This is where, you know, praying that God would bless them with a victory in the lotto, you know, where, where someone's going to win 100 million. And by the way, which I cannot imagine God thinking is a good thing for any of us. I used to tell God, God, if I win the lottery, if I win a million dollars, then I'll tithe 10%. As if God's like, what a deal that would be. <laughs> Isn't that pathetic? So whatsoever. What is the whatsoever? I mean, does God mean that literally whatsoever you ask, you will be given? God, I want to float right now. God, I want to walk through that wall. I want that speaker to be picked up and thrown into the back and knock Tim Meyer in the head. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. I just happened to see you when you were back there. I could have picked Jay behind you. but <laughs> In other words, is God going to honor that? I'm asking whatsoever. However, if it's not in agreement with the king, if it's not in agreement with his nature, it's not going to be done. And that's actually stipulated all throughout the New Testament. There are actually things that hinder our praying. God says, yeah, you're asking, but you're not receiving. You know why? Because you're asking to spend on you, on your flesh. I can't honor that. You see, God's engagement with us is to accomplish his kingdom ends, not our self-centered sinful ends. God can't honor that. His spirit doesn't labor in those regards. He labors to the end of the glory of King Jesus that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. So what is this word whatsoever? Here's one of the best ways of looking at it is going into the Old Testament, and we'll call it the whatsoever territory. Do you remember God defined a territory? He says, look, I've taken you out of Egypt so that I could bring you in to, we could call it the whatsoever territory. It's the land of promise. You see, what God promises to answer is that which he promised to us. So whatsoever promise you come to me with, you're going to get it. In other words, there's a territory, and it's defined. You have the River Jordan, you have the, the Euphrates River, you have the Great Sea. There's this territory, and it's marked out by God. And he says, wheresoever your foot shall tread, in this territory I will give it to you. It's the wheresoever. And now in the New Testament, we have the whatsoever. It's the territory of promise. And if you go outside of that promise, God's like, whoa, what does that have to do with what we're doing here? Hey, I'm establishing a kingdom here. This is where I'm working. We're like hanging out here in Japan going, hey, my foot touched the soil. And God's like, yeah, but that's not the soil I told you to step on. I told you in here. So in that whatsoever territory, anywhere your foot shall tread, it's a done deal. The pattern of the ask in the Old Testament. So here we have an incredible picture of the ask. And some of you know this story. I, I could probably go over this story a few times a week and never get bored of it. I mean, this is just an amazing story. I love it. 
Elijah is parting. He's headed home. It's a strange story, actually. I mean, how he knew he was heading home. All the prophets seemed to know he was heading home. And they're all standing by uh, in the Jericho region, sort of staring off at Elijah and Elisha as they're crossing the Jordan River. It's like, ah, it's time. He's going. And they literally cross from uh, across the Jordan. Elijah parts the waters. They walk across to the wilderness side. And Elijah sort of lays out the framework. You see, Elijah is a mighty prophet. In fact, most of us would probably think, out of all the prophets of the Old Testament, he's the big dog. He, he's the big guy. And it's, you know, there's reasonable argument for that when the Mount of Transfiguration, you have Moses and Elijah that show up as testimony and witness of the Old Covenant to that the law and the prophets testify that this is him. So, I mean, there's good argument for that. But most of us fail to sometimes realize how profound the life of Elisha is. And it all stems from this scene. And we could call this the Old Testament ask. So if you want to see the pattern for how to ask in your life in prayer, eh, just take a few notes here. Okay, so everyone knows, the prophets all know, Elisha even knows. And so Elijah's the big dog and Elisha's the understudy. If their names were a little more distinctive, it'd be easier to talk about them. But they're very similar. So Elijah is the big dog, okay? He's the one that's just about to head to heaven and go home in a chariot of fire. Uh-huh. It happened. And so Elisha is in need of something. And that's an understatement. Imagine Jesus is parting, and he's going to leave us down here. It's like, excuse me, where are you going? And he's like, oh, it's good that I go to be with the Father. Uh, how is that good for me, that you're going to be with the Father? I think I would be sort of nice if you hung out here. Uh, you know, if I could just sort of show off your nail wounds and your feet and hands and your side, I mean, people would believe. No, it's better for you that I go to be with the Father. Uh, haven't you ever thought that yourself? It's like, uh, excuse me, but I think you got that one wrong. I could really use you being here. Well, how do you think Elisha's feeling? Uh, where are you going? Yeah, I- I'm headed home. Uh, what am I going to do here? Hmm, that's a good point. You need help, don't you? Yeah? Uh, I'm sort of taking over your position as chief prophet? Uh, yeah, I- I'm sort of just a lowly uh, guy here that knows how to you know, work a field. I'm not a guy who knows how to work a nation with God's word. And you can almost see Elijah going, hmm, good point. All right, here's the deal. You ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you before I go. So if you knew that you needed serious help to accomplish your mission, what would you ask for? Some of us think very, very small, and we think, you know what, if I just had enough money in the bank for this next week, then. You know, if if I could just get my marriage in order, then. As opposed to beginning to think God thoughts in regards to what your commission is and what you need. In other words, all those things are perfectly well and good, and God cares about those things. However, I want you to begin to think like Elisha thinks. So Elijah's parting. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Ask what I shall do for thee. The mighty prophet saying to the understudy. Well, who's the understudy? It's the church. It's the ones that are like, uh, hey, guys, uh, we're sort of shortchanged here. We need something. If you leave, I mean, what? we don't have it. So before I be taken away from thee, oh, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, listen to this, I pray thee, 
Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. A double portion of what Elijah had? Now, let's be honest. Most of us would say what Elijah had is maxed out. I mean, that's like 100%. How in the world could you get double 100%? And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Even Elijah is a little confounded by that request. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. So the key is, you will know, Elisha, that you've received what you have asked. If, when I depart, you see me depart. Well, that's, that's it. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Did Elisha see it? And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. And I could just see it. This mantle of Elijah, his cloak, comes down to the earth and lands. Jesus goes up, and the double portion comes down. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he, had also, when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So Elisha, even though a lot of us would look at him as a lesser prophet, he actually asked for a double portion, and, get this, he received it. And what's strange mathematically in scriptures is that when he died, he had exactly double the, the miracles that Elijah performed minus one. He was short one from being double. So he's laying as a dead guy in his, in his tomb. His bones are just sort of sitting there. And some guys are running around trying to find a place to throw a dead body. And they find a tomb. They throw it in there. It just happens to be Elisha's tomb. The guy pops back to life. And God says, double. <laughs> That's amazing. You see, the one who has gone before us has been carried up into the clouds and the disciples saw it. They saw him ascend. It's not an accident. And then what came fluttering down but the mantle of the mighty one? It is better that I go to be with the, the Father. Why? Because then I can send you the mantle. It's not just one but you can all wear it. You can all be empowered by it. It will live in you. And it will enable you to do what you could never do if I was just here physically standing near you. You need what I can give you if I go to be with the Father. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please, feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.